let's be honest for a minute. How often do you make what you're doing or what you're working on way bigger than it actually is? This was true for me throughout most of my corporate career. Even the most routine activities felt so high stakes. This week, I discussed this with my guest, Neha Lagu Ratnakar, author of the book, Back on Your Feet. She shares personal stories of how making things bigger than they actually are led to her own unnecessary stress and anxiety. We also talk about her global experience, living in eight countries and speaking eight different languages, and how that has influenced her life and how she views humanity. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and as an executive coach and former high-tech leader, my personal mission is to help professionals overcome imposter syndrome so that you can advance your career with confidence. Each week, I interview a new guest who brings a powerful perspective to this conversation, including personal stories, best practices, and new insights. The more we talk about this issue, the more we destigmatize imposter syndrome, recognize that we're not alone, and empower ourselves to access the tools and resources that can help us and those around us. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing with others you think would benefit from this conversation. Welcome, Neha. It is such a pleasure to meet you this morning, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I would love to start by inviting you to introduce yourself. Hi, Kev. It's my pleasure to be here on your podcast, and um, and what a great morning it is to be talking to you today. So, uh, a bit about myself. I'm Neha Lagunathnakar, and um, professionally, I'm a talent development professional. I've been in this field for the past 14 years. And um, personally, we've lived in eight countries now. I speak seven languages at different levels of uh, competence. And I have a 10 years old. Uh, we, I've been able to reinvent myself, start new careers, new uh, vocations, new hobbies everywhere I've been to and make friends everywhere. So that's a little bit about me. And I think it, uh, my life ties in very well with the theme of your, uh, uh, your podcast. Because uh, in each new place that I've been to, I have felt like an imposter for at least the first few months where I didn't know what I was doing, how I could make friends, if I even belong there. So I can't wait to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much. And and I'm so interested in talking with you from a from a personal perspective, while I have not lived in eight countries, and so I can only imagine the culture shock in moving around internationally in that in that right. I have moved a lot as a as a child in particular. And so I understand that anxiety. I understand that insecurity when you when you go someplace new and you think, mm-hmm. am I going to fit in here? Are they going to work with <laughs> me? What what do I right. have to think about differently than I did before? Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how moving around so much really influenced you in both potentially positive and challenging ways? Sure. Uh, moving around has been one of the, the biggest things in my life. And I think it has definitely positively changed me because I've become more open about new things, about not feeling your best, not being most confident, but yet making it work and uh, trying out new languages, for example. That's a common thread throughout my life. I've learned so many languages uh, over the years. And um, of course, initially, I used to be hesitant about speaking those languages before I had a certain level of mastery on them. 
But then I realized if I wasn't practicing them, I wasn't getting better at them. It's it's like uh, wanting to swim only when you're an expert and only then you'll enter the swimming pool, right? There, there's no no choice like that. So uh, learning a language has a lot to do with practice. And that's one thing that uh, helped me uh, become more confident, just practicing, even when I was feeling like an idiot, when I didn't know what I was doing, if the other person was completely understanding me or not. I kept at it, kept trying. And that's one thing that um, has defined all these eight, nine years that we've been moving around. And uh, negatively, I, I struggle to find negatives in all these moves. But one thing, of course, um, is important to me, which is food. I'm a vegetarian. And that has been a struggle in many of the places that we've lived in. So, but then I've, I've tried to com- combat that problem with uh, learning my first sentence, which is I'm a vegetarian in any language that I'm supposed to uh, speak in that new country so that's I don't even learn uh, the basic sentence of hello thank you whatever I just learn I'm a vegetarian before I land in a new country and that has been helpful. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian too so the next time I travel to another country I'm gonna reach out to you to see if you can help me speak that uh in that particular absolutely <laughs> Uh, but one thing that I want to pick up on that you're talking about that I think is so important, even outside of moving and even outside mm-hmm. of language, is the need to practice something new. And I think that we, you talked about the analogy of wanting to swim when you're an expert. So many of us put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect on day one, and we don't. Right. We don't value, we might intellectually, or we might when it comes to other people, but when it comes to ourselves we're so critical and we think I can't do this unless I can do it perfectly. And it becomes a vicious cycle, right? Because you can't do it perfectly until you've practiced it or if ever. Right. So, so I have often thought of learning a new language as a very humbling experience that can actually build resilience muscles, build confidence muscles, Mm -hmm. right? When you you overcome the discomfort, when you realize you're making progress, it actually shows you that you're improving and that you can do something. And I think that's a model for how we we could think about our own development in other arenas as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm completely with you on that. And nobody says that you have to practice um, any new skill in a high stakes situation, right? You don't have to learn a new language and go into hostage negotiation situation all of a sudden. You can go and practice it in a supermarket with the taxi driver that you have to tell directions to. Um, or if we, if, or if we take the, the context out of languages, any new skill that you learn, for example, if you're not too confident about that, start talking about it in small videos or simple low risk situations like go to Quora.com and start answering questions on those topics and slowly you will build that muscle but you'll also realize how much more than you know how much more you know than you give yourself credit for right so I think these small situations where you can find ways to practice your new skill new language whatever it is can really help you build that uh, confidence. I think that's such a great point and uh, and so worth thinking about because a lot of times we only think in terms of the workplace and to practice those outside areas and then bring it into the workplace when you're ready is such a great right. approach. How do you think having access to different cultures and really getting to see different people and what they value and how they behave and how they think, how has that influenced how you see the world and yourself 
it has transformed me over the years to say the least and um, i realized that people um, no matter where you go people are um, forgiving when you are trying something new or when you are trying to learn their language their customs if you always act like an expat who can't wait to go back to their own country then you're in trouble but if you act like a person who and i say act very consciously because that's what it is in the beginning you're just acting that you you're comfortable in the new place but you don't speak the language you don't like the food you don't like the weather but you're still acting as if you belong there as if you're comfortable there to make new friends to create a new life and when you're doing that um it's it's important that uh, you try new things out you show your vulnerability to locals you even if you start saying thank you please or i only speak a little bit of your language it really helps warm people up and they open up faster to you they help you faster they'll try in their bro- broken language to speak english or whatever language you feel comfortable in i experienced this first hand in brazil when we uh, when we were really new there it was the first time we had gone out of india and um, i didn't speak any language but again my vegetarianism came <laughs> into play there i was looking for a place where i could find uh, some vegetarian food which didn't only have steak uh, as an option and i was looking for the nearest subway and i couldn't find my way around there was a time before smartphone so i was i just had a google map memory when i stepped out of my hotel room and i went to a, a small shop uh, where the shopkeeper was sitting alone uh there's no, there were no customers there but i asked him for directions for subway however i did i i showed him a sandwich and i said subway subway and he started explaining to me in brazilian portuguese of course i couldn't understand anything but he realized that i needed help and i kept saying sorry because that's that's the one word i knew in brazilian portuguese so i kept saying sorry that i couldn't explain anything so he left his shop he walked with me two blocks to show me the subway sandwich place so i could have my lunch and I, i i can't believe he did that because he was the only person manning the shop and he just left it to help a complete stranger and a foreigner who needed a sandwich nothing important nothing that was going to uh, was a do or die situation but he helped me out and that's just one of the millions of examples i have where people have helped me by going out of their way just because i was trying to uh, speak a little bit of their language language or was vulnerable in that situation That must really reinforce, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that must really reinforce your faith in humanity because I think we so often hear the bad stuff, right? We hear right. so much of it, whether it's intentional or unintentional these days, an us versus them, right? right. And I think what you're talking about is when you show vulnerability and you show respect for other mm-hmm. people, they will respond with kindness and with patience and i think that that's one of the benefits of getting outside of your own little bubble right is mm-hmm. to be able to see that other people are more similar to us than we think they are and to kind of break down some of the barriers break down some of the myths that we might mm-hmm. have about people who aren't like us absolutely and and the world is going around because there's more good than bad in the world right so i i really do believe in the power of good and that there are more people more good people in the world than bad and uh, talking about vulnerability it is also very strongly connected to uh, imposter syndrome one thing that i've used to my advantage in the past is this was a lunch situation but also in personal life 
if I'm feeling like an imposter, if I'm feeling nervous, if I'm not 100% sure about the solution that I'm putting forth in front of my client or my uh, business stakeholder, I find it, uh, it really relaxes me in that situation. If I just confess, if I just say, hey, I'm a little nervous about this conversation, especially if it's a money-related conversation, I'm always on the back foot. So it helps me ease my nerves. If I say, hey, I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm, I'm prepared to have a good discussion, let's take this forward. So showing this vulnerability vulnerability also helps you in, in these situations where you're feeling like an imposter, where you think you're not totally ready or you're not uh, you're, you're faking that confidence that other can see. I really like that a lot too, because I'm a big proponent of naming the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable. Because if you don't name it, if you don't say it out loud, its power grows and grows and it becomes a distraction because you're oh. about it at the same time that you're doing something else. And so you can't give your full attention or you can't focus your brain on the thing you're actually trying to do. You're, right. you're, so part of you is thinking about, oh no, uh, what if they find out X? So I really love that idea of being vulnerable enough to name what it is that you're uncomfortable with. And then it also triggers empathy more often than not in the other person too, because then once they know that, they're reading your behavior in context and they want to support you. Right. So even if they don't like the idea, they'll still not be, uh, they won't attack you or they won't uh, attack it proverbially. They won't, uh, they won't be strongly against it. They'll show their discontent with the idea or, um, uh, or concerns in a more positive way. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm in general, just a big believer in being human, not pretending mm. that we're perfect, not <laughs> pretending that we have all the answers, but just being really honest and being humble with each other. And there are going to be people who are jerks everywhere. There are going to be people who aren't as receptive to that style. But when we can be ourselves, it takes the pressure off. We don't have to pretend. Absolutely. So you've been working in talent development. Mm -hmm. How does what we are talking about here map to talent development how are you a better talent development leader because of your own experience wow thank you for asking me that question first of all because it, it reminds me of a very important lesson that I learned early on in my career I was um, I, I was newly minted uh, training manager for a, for a retail chain in India and um, I had I knew nothing about retail. Okay, I just got that opportunity because of my management training uh, experience before that. And um, here I was in the training center on the, the second week of my job, and I was expected to train thirty people on something related to retail. I don't even remember something operations related, but I was completely unprepared. I had a presentation behind me, and I didn't know what I was talking about. I think I just read through the slides, and I. I've never had a worse training in my entire career till now. I gave that presentation and I felt like a complete imposter. I was such a fraud on that day. And it, it wasn't a perceived imposter syndrome. I was a fraud that day because I knew nothing about the field. I didn't know what I was reading from the um, from the slides. And if I had somebody had asked me a question that day, I would have completely bombed. So um, after after that horrible training, I went back to my boss and I said, hey, I can't, I, I can't work like this. I know nothing about the field, about what I'm teaching. So you have to give me an opportunity to work in the retail space. You have to let me go into a shop, clean up the shop floor, stack things, do the billing. 
meet the customers, do everything that a regular retail worker needs to do. And only then will I feel like I know anything to be able to train these 2,000 odd people that you have in the chain. And um, I don't know how I got the courage to ask that question to my boss, but he actually agreed. He said, hey, I'm not paying you two salaries, but if you're fine with one salary, continue doing your current job, but work every day for four hours in a retail setup. And I did that. So I went to a small shop in, in my neighborhood that was in, in, our, in, our, in, the, um, in, our, in our company. And uh, started doing everything from scratch. I started uh, stacking, cleaning up. I started making the reports, uh, doing billing, meeting all the customers. And a month into that job, I I was I, I was feeling much better about where I was, how much I had learned. And my boss comes back to the shop and buys something random and comes to the the shop till um, as in the the billing counter and uh, says, "Hey, I I want that that new girl Neha uh, to bill me." And uh, I, the, the store manager brings me out and he's like, Neha, you have to build this customer. So I built him. Uh, by then, I had good hang of the tilling, till machine. And I quickly made the bill. And my boss was super happy. He was like, Neha, looks like you know enough. Now come back to your regular job. We need you there. But, wow. that, <laughs> but that one experience taught me so much about, uh, about that feeling of uh, being an imposter. Sometimes it's something that we create ourselves and sometimes it's real sometimes you really don't know what you're talking about so it's also important to introspect to actually objectively see if that imposter syndrome that you're feeling the the feeling of being a fraud that you're feeling is it real is it stemming from uh, your need to know more that you are really incompetent on what you're expected to do or is it subjective is it something that you have created like a like a monster which doesn't exist that is such a great point. And I love that story. I love that you did that, that you had the courage to do it and that you were willing to put in that extra time. I think about this a lot. Sometimes people will ask me, how do I know if it's imposter syndrome? Or I really don't know enough mm-hmm. to do my job. And I think you're hitting on that in the story that you just told. It's really being honest with ourselves and not coming from a very panicked kind of emotional place but more <laughs> of a reasoned thoughtful place of what could I learn that would help me to feel more confident in my job what could yeah. I do? what are some steps that I could take to perhaps learn something new or put myself in the shoes of the people that I'm supporting what kinds of steps can I take to strengthen my skills and capabilities in this role and that's exactly what you just described. Mm-hmm. And that's more, and that, I would say it's more efficient too than, than, you know, a lot of times we tell ourselves the story of, I just need a whole new career path, or I need a whole new degree or, you know, something that's really um, overblown when in actuality, it doesn't sound like that in the whole scheme of things that took up a lot of your time. Right. No, it didn't. It didn't. If you're really dedicated to something, if you really want to learn, you can learn it really quickly, right? You don't have to do a whole PhD or even a postgraduate degree in something to be able to learn something. Exactly. Exactly. And so you wrote a book. Can you tell us about Mm -hmm. that? (laughs) That's another story of my being imposter. I have the book in my background, but for the longest time, I wasn't displaying it in my background because I thought... 
that's too much in the face. That's like, it look like I'm bragging about my book all the time on all the Zoom calls, Teams calls that I'm on or all the Instagram videos that I'm making about the book. And it was so stupid because I had actually written the book. The book is like my baby. And why would I shy away from showing off something that I've created from scratch? And people were saying great things about the book. They're still doing it. I still get emails and messages and notes from people who really appreciate what I've written and how it has helped them and uh, how relatable they find my content. But I, for one, was being the one shying away from showing it off or talking too much about it. In fact, that is also how I... Uh, how I got my social media coach. So, uh, I've, of course, I've known for years and years that uh, being vocal about your thoughts or having an online image or a brand is very important for your career. But um, I would just stop myself from putting an idea out there in form of a post or a video because I thought, who's going to listen to it? Or am I making sense here? Or how do I look? Or silly things that, oh, I'm making a grammatical mistake here. I wouldn't put my ideas out there. And this book really forced me to get uh, a social media manager because um, how else was I going to promote my book? And uh, she's not a manager anymore. I call her my coach because she doesn't know she's my coach, by the way. <laughs> she's a young young lady who thinks, oh, she's just showing me the ropes on social media because this 40-year-old uh, this forty year old cannot make decent posts. So I ask her questions whenever I have some. But she is my coach in real sense because she was the one who inculcated that discipline of creating a social media calendar, of uh, listening to ongoing discussions and giving my views about them. And then not censoring myself. When I have an idea, I discuss it with her. And uh, that helps me, of course, clear clear my thoughts. But also, uh, when she gives me a thumbs up, I know the idea is good to go. And I just put it out there without thinking twice. So she's my uh, coach. And she doesn't know it. But that has really, really helped me get over that imposter syndrome of showing my real thoughts or putting my ideas up there. Well, it's so interesting as you're talking, because I think that so many can relate to what you're saying, maybe not as writers of a book, but in general, <laughs> not wanting to look like they're bragging or, you know, not wanting to come across too forcefully. But in theory, you wrote that book to help others, right? And if you don't share it, people aren't going to know it's there and they can't read it and get the benefit. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us more about it. What is the what is the book about? Mm-hmm. So the book is called uh, Back on Your Feet. And uh, it's, it's a career restart book for uh, primarily for women who've taken a break in their careers for whatever reason, for, for childbirth or for taking care of a family member or any other health reasons or anything else. But it's essentially a, a career restart book where women can find uh, find clarity of thought and uh, actionable steps that they can take to restart their career, no matter where they are in life, no matter how long their career break was, no matter what their um, past career or interests or profession was. And uh, I've, I've stayed away from it being um, a, a, a preachy book about Neha and my thoughts about things. So I've uh, sprinkled the book with a lot of stories from women from very different fields, right from uh, from Air Force officers to makeup artists to cooks to triathletes. All these people who've struggled, uh, struggled in life have faced a lot of challenges, but have come out on the other side after getting over their uh, low confidence or their lack of uh, experience sometimes or the huge gap in their career or inexperience even and how they've been able to make it work in their lives. So these stories, and of course, the book, which is very actionable, 
um, that's what uh, Back on Your Feet is all about. I love that. I mean, so many of us have a break in our career paths for whatever reason, like you said, whether it's caring for somebody else, um, you know, just perhaps um, challenges with the economy. And, you know, there are certain points in history where people lost their jobs and it took a lot longer to find something else. And so it's so helpful to have a guidebook to navigate is so often when we're in that situation, we feel like we're the only ones. <laughs> and so it's great to be able to reference a book that has lots of stories of people that it reminds you, okay, this is doable, right? <laughs> That's really great. It sure is doable. Um, and so is there anything else that you see when you think about your job today and developing talent that you see gets in the way of people progressing or reaching their full potential? So um, while researching for the book, the one thing that came to my, um, came into light for me was the fact that uh, people stop themselves from putting themselves out there uh, in terms of applying for jobs, for example. They don't even apply for jobs unless they are completely uh, qualified for it. If they don't check all the boxes, they don't apply for the for the job. And I've done this in the past. I have applied for jobs where I was only 50%, 60% qualified. And I have gotten through a few rounds and I've also been selected for a few of them. Um, one, one, one time I remember after I was just back from my maternity break, some, I'd taken four or five years off to take care of my child. And um, uh, a big company, I they had a senior position open in talent development. And I wasn't thinking much. I was applying to every company that looked decent. And I applied to them. I went through the first round of interview, the recruiter interview. That went well. Second round of interview, my hiring manager interview. That went well. The third level of interview where they wanted me to meet their senior leaders. And right before the interview, I think a few hours before the interview, I opened the resume that I had submitted in this company and I saw that there was a grammatical mistake, okay? A stupid, glaring, grammatical mistake in the very first um, line of the resume. And I panicked. I immediately called my best friend. I was like, you know what? What I did, they're not going to hire me. There's a huge resume mistake and they're going to find out. And and my best friend was like, so? And... And, and I was like, they, they'll know that my grammar sucks, that English is not my, uh, is not a strong language for me. And she was like, are you applying there as an English teacher? And I said, no, I'm not. And she's like, then what are you worried about? And the, and the stage of resume review is, is long past. You're on the third level of your bloody interview. And they must have seen something great in you that they want you to meet the senior leaders. They must have some confidence in you to put you in front of the senior leaders. So have that confidence in yourself. Just just own it. Own what you've written in the resume because it's all true. And show them what you're capable of. So that, that has stayed with, with me over the years. Looking at these little mistakes where you realize, oh, you're an imposter. They can't have you as a talent manager or talent development director because you, you can't speak perfect English in front of a few thousand people. Shouldn't stop you from sharing your thoughts. Shouldn't stop you from creating wonderful talent development programs for companies that really need it. That's such a great story, too. I think we all need friends like yours. <laughs> because we are so hard on ourselves. And then when you really get somebody who gives you that perspective, 
it's so helpful to remind yourself, oh yeah, actually, right? I I do have more to offer than I think I do. And just stick with it. Because like you said, I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they won't hire you, but they certainly mm-hmm. won't hire you if you don't apply. And That's so, true. <laughs> you know, I just, I think that that tendency that we have to play small comes mm-hmm. from a place of self-preservation. We don't want to expose our vulnerabilities. We don't want to humiliate ourselves or to fail. But what we end up doing is sacrificing our opportunities to challenge ourselves, to grow. And so one of the things I think about a lot lately is we're so aware of what the costs of taking a risk are, but Mm -hmm. we don't think about the costs of not taking the risk. And I think we owe it to ourselves if we're going to make that decision to not move forward with something is to name very specifically what we're losing potentially by not taking that risk. So true. And it's so beautifully put, Kim. Thank you for saying that. And oh. you, you're so right. We, we minimize ourselves to a degree where it's it's not helping anybody, not the world, not yourself, definitely. You're just censoring all your talent, all the amazing things that you can do and hiding it from the world. And sometimes we, we think that what's at stake is so big. We just unnecessarily make it much bigger than I than it actually is. I, I, I I have another story for you if you don't mind. Oh, good. <laughs> so I, uh, I I love doing Mehendi. Probably would have seen it in, in my video right now. Uh, is uh, I, I love making Mehendi on Hina, the Indian uh, Indian Hina designs. And I, I, I learned it just a little bit from a local teacher just to be able to do my own Hina every once in a while. And I felt it. Felt like it. And uh, when we moved to Brazil, I didn't know anybody there. So I was super bored and we st- I stepped out of the hotel and uh, got an opportunity to make Mehendi at um, Hard Rock Cafe there. And uh, I-, I was surprised when I got that opportunity, of course. <laughs> but then when the day came to actually go there and start making Mehendi for their uh, their clients, I was like, I'm not a Mehendi artist. That's not what my profession is. Even the person sitting in the local market in my hometown in India, he he makes like a million times better Mehendi design for uh, for about $2 a design. So who was I to charge like 100 pesos for a design in a happening place like Hard Rock Cafe and, and in Mexico City, no less. And who was I to make Mehendi in a new country to represent Mehendi artists all around the world or even to represent India? You, you see how big I had actually made it, so much bigger than I, it was actually, it actually was. It wasn't like I was representing India at Olympics for, I don't know, pole vault or something. It was just making handy for some people in a little cafe in Mexico City, but I made it so much bigger. And I felt like such an imposter, but I'm, I'm glad I, I, I was able to work through it. And I forced myself to take up that opportunity and boy, did I have fun. So we have to sometimes force ourselves to get out of that uh, syndrome. <laughs> yes, I love that you did that and it you still did it anyway, right? That you, mm-hmm. that you found yourself making it so much bigger than it was, but you still took the risk and did it. And I think that's so true that we do that. We we say things like, who am I 
to do this, right? We we blow it out of proportion and to just be able to take it back to a a simpler place, right? Can definitely make it easier to move forward. But at the end of the day, so much of what we're talking about is just the the anxiety is going to be there, but just do it anyway. And once you do it, you realize it's not as scary as you think it is. Right. Nothing's going to happen. No hell is going to break loose, right? If you <laughs> don't perform well, if you, it's, it's, it's not a do or die situation in most cases. Thank God I'm not a heart surgeon. Maybe the, it is a problem for them, but at least in my profession, that's not a problem. And in, in most our cases. That's exactly right. That's a good way to keep it in perspective, right? Like at least mm-hmm. I'm not an, a heart surgeon, right? right. <laughs> the stress they must experience. Oh my goodness. Uh, so where can we find you and your book if anybody's interested in learning more? Sure. So I'm quite um, active on LinkedIn, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. And you can find me by my name, Neha Lagu Ratnakar or just Neha Lagu in some places. And my book, uh, Back on Your Feet, is available on Amazon.com all over the world. And uh, on Barnes & Nobles and Amazon Books and Google Books. So... I'm right there. It's available in both ebook version and paperback. Thank you so much, Neha. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today. And I'm hoping that people will come go out and buy your book too, because I have no doubt there's a lot more where this came from. So thank you so much. Absolutely. The pleasure was mine, Kim. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Files. If you would like to continue this conversation in a safe and trusted space, I would love for you to join my virtual discussion group every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. For the past several years, the group has been limited to women, but it is now open, regardless of gender, to anyone who is interested in exploring and troubleshooting common workplace challenges, building better awareness of ourselves and others, and becoming more inclusive allies at work. Check out the show notes for more info on how to find us. And please join us next week for another episode of the Imposter Syndrome Files.